get a you get a free one. You get a free one. Hallelujah. Woo! Yeah, we're not going to charge for that one. Maybe I should charge for that one and, and give this one free. We'll have to see. Let me know at the end which one you'd be willing to pay for. That's kidding. Hallelujah. Thanksgiving was Thursday, and so we all spend lots of money on Friday buying everything we don't need. No, I'm just kidding. But we, what, does that, what does that get us into? Right, right after Thanksgiving, how many of you began to immediately put up your Christmas decorations, right? We got a few people. Anyone else? We, we put up our tree. A few people starting to get them out, at least thinking about it. Something happens. Thanksgiving comes, and we immediately turn the corner and go, okay, Christmas. And before we get to Christmas, we're into a season. And that season is the Advent season. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. But let's go to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. This is a familiar passage, mostly around this time of year. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Fathers, we get into the word this morning. As we're in this Advent season, Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts. You'd speak to us. God, let, you, let there be anointing upon the word. Encourage us, Father. Show us the things that you would have for us this day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The Old Testament is full of stories of God trying to reveal to His people hope. Trying to reveal to His people the Messiah. From the very beginning in Genesis, clouded at the time, revealed to us now, even when Adam and Eve sinned and God made a sacrifice of an animal to cover their sin, All through the Old Testament, in Leviticus, when it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In Exodus, when God was going to pull the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, and He put the the death angel came over the firstborn, and they killed the, the lamb and put it on their doorpost. All of those things were pointing toward the future hope of a Messiah, of one that would finally redeem Israel. Then He would send prophets in the times that the children of Israel would be bad. They would misbehave. The whole time of Israel, it was amazing that there would be these times of greatness. They would rise up and they would worship and serve God and then they would fall away. And that's really what you see in the Old Testament. Continually, continually the children of Israel would come to God. They would repent. They would serve God. And then they would get comfortable and they'd begin to fall away. We find that specifically in the Judges, it's mentioned. But I believe throughout the Old Testament, we find a... Uh, something that was said or something was done the whole time and it came boiled down to this. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We, they would come to a point where they would worship and serve God and then they would begin to do these things and say, well, I'm going to do it my way. What's right in my own eyes? They wouldn't tear down the high places because it was right in their own eyes. That was the Old Testament. So God, in that time, would send prophets. 
He would send prophetic word. He would show the people that there was a hope coming. Even in the times that the Israelites would get placed into bondage and be taken off to Babylon, God raised up prophets to speak to the people to say, a hope is coming. A hope is coming. And we read it here. And, And the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Flip over just a couple of chapters to chapter 9. In verse 2. Imagine yourself, and it's not hard to do, in a place where you wonder where God is. In a living in a nation where people are, are not serving God around you. Where the nation around you is calling evil good and good evil. And that's the same nation that we, we find ourselves living in today. And it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Skipping over a few verses to verse, uh, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Boy, they needed that. They were looking forward to that. They wanted that government. They needed to know that God was their God and they needed hope. And so God continually spoke to them, hope is coming. It's coming. It's coming. And so they had to look forward to that hope. But one of the sad things that we see, the scary things for the children of Israel is that after the thousands of years, God stopped speaking even for a time. For 400 years, He even stopped prophesying and showing them things. And even that time, they had to go back into the Word that God had already spoken to them and say, hope, there is still hope. The Messiah is still coming. The Messiah is still coming. It was dark. No one was speaking for God. They had to rely on the things that they knew from the Scriptures. They had the Torah. They had the law. They had the prophets, the Psalms. And they had to go there and encourage themselves. Have hope. Have hope. Something's coming. And then 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus came in the form of a baby. And we know that that was the biggest event this world has ever seen. It split time in half. I don't care how the schools try to call this new era CE. You know, some of these, some of these young people, some of our kids who are in public school don't even know the term AD anymore. They've only been taught the new term common era. Talk to some of the younger people. If you're in school, you know that they're switching over. It's now the common era. I don't care what they try to do to mask that what Jesus did. He came in and he split time. And that was what they were looking forward to and hope. Well, we're into the season. The season is called Advent. And for those who've maybe come out of a more liturgical church, because we're not a very liturgical church, you might know what Advent is, but tell me you might in here going, I've heard the term, what is it? Advent simply means coming. And so we spend the next four weeks, four Sundays prior to Christmas, celebrating Advent. And it was the coming of Christ. But it wasn't just the coming of 2,000 years ago. Advent started around five to 600 A.D. And ever since then, Advent would come this time of year to remind the people of His coming 2,000 years ago and His future coming. It's a dual purpose. And that's what we want to do. But sadly, in the church today, I think what we've done is we've just looked back. We tend to just celebrate His first coming. And we're washing over His next coming. In fact, the church of a few hundred years ago would, would probably be appalled at, at, at the things that we're doing. Definitely be surprised of what we've made Christmas. 
the Advent season in the earlier church was never a holly jolly time. It was not the most wonderful time of the year. The four weeks of Advent was spent in repentance and penitence. And for me, that I had to go, you know, this is a, I love Christmas. I, I am one of these, I am a kid at heart. I love everything to do with, with, with Christmas and, and even the things that, the traditions that weren't ever spiritual. But, but I just love the Christmas lights and the tree and, and the warm fuzzies and, the, and the, the things that you experience with family. So for me to think, wow, this four weeks is supposed to be full of repentance and penitence. Why? Because we're being reminded this Sunday that there is a coming of Christ again. He's coming again. It comes with hope, though. The hope of His coming, but He is coming again. In Isaiah, you're already there. Isaiah 11, just two more chapters over. In verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. We find throughout the, the pr- prophets that they would point to Jesus' birth, but then they would overlap it with something that wouldn't be fulfilled only in His coming the first time, but would ultimately be fulfilled in His second coming. When it starts talking about His judgment is righteous, His judgment is still waiting. We haven't gotten to that point. But there is a hope for us, a hope of eternal life, a hope of His coming again. And that's where we want to spend this, this Christmas season for many reasons. Christ's advent confirmed the prophet's predictions of the first advent. When Christ came, it confirmed all of the things that were said in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming. And so because of that, it solidified their veracity regarding His second coming. Jesus is coming the first time, confirmed the prophecies of the Old Testament, and so it solidifies the veracity of the prophecies regarding His second coming. It says that He would come again, and He would bring righteousness and judgment. We find in Micah, I believe it's Micah chapter 4, where it's talking about peace, that ultimately there would be peace, and that, that the swords would be uh, um, pounded into plowshares. Right? And spears into pruning hooks. What does that signify? That there is a peace coming. That, that Jesus' coming would bring about peace. Well, let me think. No, it hasn't happened yet. It didn't happen 2,000 years ago. When Jesus came, it turned the world upside down. That didn't bring about peace. I believe that, that the church, I believe this is a twofold prophecy, threefold prophecy, partly fulfilled in the first coming of Christ, partly fulfilled in Christ's coming in the church, that the church would begin to usher in peace. We're supposed to be lovers of peace. But fully it won't be ushered in, fully won't be recognized until Christ's coming again. And that's exciting. That's exciting. And so Advent represents that hope this morning to us. 
the New Testament. So we have the, the time of the Old Testament prophets leading up into the birth of Christ. And so many Jews still don't recognize that. So many are still waiting for His coming. We do have something in common. The, the Jews who don't recognize Jesus as their Messiah and us are both expecting Messiah to come. They're just expecting Him to come for the first time because they missed Him. We're, we're expecting Him to come the second time. We're hoping on that. We're hoping on that. But it's not a hope that's weak. It's not a hope that's empty. It's a hope that's based in the Word of God. It's a hope that's based in truth. In fact, the, the word hope is really, it's, it's more of a confidence. And if you speak Spanish, you understand that because the word hope in Spanish is, is esperar or espera. And the word to wait is the same word. See, hope is more of a waiting with expectation. It's not me going out to Circle K this afternoon, buying a lottery ticket and saying, I hope I win. I have no expectation if I were to do that, and I don't, just to clarify that. I don't have, if I buy a lottery ticket, I don't have an expectation to win. I have a hope. <laughs> Let it be me. There is nothing that I can base any solid hope or waiting expectation in in that. But with Christ, we have a hope that's based in expectation. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. He is coming again. And the New Testament continually pointed to Christ's return. It's a big topic. Always looking forward, reminding us that Jesus was going to come again. Jesus didn't institute a religion that where the main focus was to gather together on a Sunday morning and sing some songs and go home. It was always about the future hope that we would occupy until He returned. But coming on a Sunday morning is not the occupation, is not the occupying that He ever had in mind when He said that. Let's, um, let's go to John. John chapter 14. This first part of the scripture is, is for many of us today. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is telling us, look for my coming. I'm going away to prepare a place. I'm going to come back and take you with me. And that is Advent. We're in the hope, the hope of His return again. In First Thessalonians, you don't have to turn there. The, the Thessalonians were commended. At the beginning of Thessalonians, they were commended on how they turned from idols to God, but also how they were waiting from the sun, for the sun from heaven. They were commended that this church was waiting, looking forward to His return again. If you've been saved for a length of time, and I mean a, a length of time, back into the 70s and 80s, I, I, who, who was saved in, in that time period, 70s or 80s? Any of us? Do you remember that everywhere you turned, they were talking about Christ's return? 
We had the movies. The le- uh, I want to call. I keep saying Left Behind, um, but it's the uh, Thief in the Night series. Remember those? You watch those? Boy, those were corny. But they were, <laughs> you know. But it was it was the topic of the decade. His return and in the eighties, it was we were really looking forward to it, and and people were trying to calculate out the days. And um, I was I, I'm I'm friends with Chuck Missler. If you're into the pr- prophecies, then you know Chuck Missler is one who's really into the end times prophecies. And we would sit around and talk, and he was just amazing to sit with. But that was such such a time where we were always looking towards his coming. It may have been out of bounds, but I think it was what God had intended us to some degree. And sadly, often what God intends for us, we take out of balance and we maybe get too wrapped up into it, into one thing instead of the full gospel. But I hardly ever hear about the talk, uh, talking about the coming of Christ. When's the last time in churches? It's rare these days that you hear about it. Yet Christ and, and all of the disciples spent so much time writing about waiting and looking for his future coming. Philippians 3.20 See, we don't belong to this earth. We don't belong on this earth. The moment that you accepted Christ into your life, the moment that I accepted Christ into my life, my citizenship changed. Similar to, and maybe maybe similar to my uh, my daughter Madeline. My daughter is a citizen of both Guatemala and the United States, and uh, she was born in Guatemala. So we have a Guatemalan passport, which is really funny. So she is, as they say down there, she's a chapina. And when we would show this Guatemalan passport to people, it was really funny because this is just the whitest baby you could see. And, but she has dual citizenship. On the day that she turns 18, she has to choose which country she will continue to be a citizen in. And if she chooses, she can choose to be a citizen of Guatemala, which means she will have no rights to come to the United States without getting visas and special permits. That day will be a special, would be a special day for her. That would be a life-changing day, especially if she were to come up to me on 18 plus 1 or whatever and says, Oh, by the way, Dad, yesterday I made my choice. I notified the proper people, and I'm now a citizen of Guatemala. <laughs> That would be a shocker. That would, to me, would not be the best of choices. But everything in her life would change. When we accepted Christ, everything in our life changed. She couldn't stay here. She would have to leave. Everything would change for her. The same thing happened for us. Our citizenship changed the day we accepted Christ. And we became a citizen of another place. In Philippians 3.20, it says, I'm off, so I apologize. Is that right? Oh, I'm on 4. Thank you. I'm like, I thought it was 3.20. is nothing like that. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment we got saved, the moment we believed on Jesus Christ, repented of our sins, trusted fully in Him, our citizenship changed. But like Madeline, 
she could choose Guatemala and then hide from the rules and restrictions that apply to her as a citizen of Guatemala. She could stay here. Probably no one would ever really ask her, aren't you Guatemalan? It's probably not going to happen. She knows how to blend in as a citizen of the United States. I was pretty good at blending in as a citizen of the world. And when my citizenship changed, it's still a choice of whether I'm going to adhere to my new citizenship or not. And sometimes I think I'm pulled back to act like a citizen of this world, but we're encouraged. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for His coming. See, we're citizens of a wonderful place and we're waiting for His coming. We're waiting for that moment where we finally get to leave this and be forever with Jesus, forever with God. Is is for some of you this morning in worship, you entered into a place where maybe everything around you began to really kind of fade in the background as you had communion and fellowship with God during our time of worship. I pray that some of you are able to enter into that. I pray if you've never did, that you will begin to more and more. And when you're in those moments, just just you know realize that wow, that's heaven, but so much better, so much better when we're in that time. We have a citizenship in a place that is calling. For us, and we eagerly wait, we eagerly hope for that. We're not just going, I hope it's true. There's no place like heaven. There's no place like heaven. But it's true. We're waiting. We're waiting in expectation. And what are we waiting for? Gloriousness. You know, I've been saved. I, I, I really truly believed I got saved when I was eight. I didn't understand everything, but I understood repentance from sin and trusting on Jesus. So I've been saved a few years now, about 31 years, walking with the Lord for about 23, 24 years. Really committed my life to Him for that long. But I know for many, many, many years of my walk, I was afraid of heaven. I was terrified. I would have dreams. I'd have nightmares of, of the judgment coming. In fact, it always happened in my backyard. I don't know why. But I'd have a dream of my backyard and millions of people in a big line. Again, I don't think it's really going to look like this, but these were my dreams. Millions of people on Pine Knot Avenue. Can you picture that? Coming all the way down Pine Knot Avenue. That's where I lived. And I'd, have, and I'd be so afraid of, of not just judgment, but what was heaven going to be like? I mean, I used to get bored during summer vacation. (laughs) Yet heaven. And I didn't have a a proper understanding of what was waiting for us. I didn't have a... And I still don't. I don't understand, but God finally finally got a hold of me and, and helped me to see just some simple things. And He says, you know, last night, when you were in my presence in worship, and I was just... We had time of maybe just of crying and just knowing that I was loved and just soaking in His presence. He goes, heaven's better than that. Amen. Those times of celebration when you gather together with Christians and you celebrate a victory, God would say, heaven's better than that. Amen. I was always trying to, 
to put it down into one thing that heaven was going to be like. And he says, no, you can't understand what heaven is going to be like. They were trying to give us an understanding, the writers in Revelation, the revelation of, of maj- majesty, streets of gold, crystal sea, the pearly gates. That means richness, gloriousness, things that we can't imagine. Now, I believe that he puts it into our hearts. The scripture says that. No eye has seen, no ear has heard or entered into the hearts of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But yet I believe he gives us understanding and he gives us a view into it. So it's glorious. You know, we, we don't have time to explore heaven today, but a couple of scriptures that I just pulled out out of Revelation because this is so important. Revelation 7.17 says, For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Thank God it's not always going to be me as a shepherd. Amen? It will be Him. And He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That picture of of the child who comes in and we've got four of them and they're just distraught over what it is and they run to their parents and we wipe their tears and it's and we make it as better as we can as parents god is going to wipe away every tear and he's going to make it better i'm looking forward to that i'm looking forward to that revelation 21 3 now the dwelling of god is with men forever right in our presence and he will live with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Say new. New. This world is going to pass away and it will be new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I am thirsty. I will give to him drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. I'm dry. I'm thirsty. I need. And when I get there, it's all going to be fulfilled. I don't have to know exactly what I'm going to do. Will we ever get to play football there again? I don't know, but I, this is, you know, that's kind of a silly statement, right? Can we play football in heaven? You know that song? Come and go with me to my father's house. Only a few of you know that one. It's, and a big, big yard where we can play football. I don't know if we get to play football there, right? But here's what I know. It won't matter. It won't matter. It's like your kids when you're going on vacation and you know you're going somewhere really good and they come up with these silly questions. Is there going to be an IHOP there? (laughs) Is there a McDonald's? And you just know that once you get there, it's going to be like, wow. And you go, don't worry about it. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's glorious. It was Keith Green many, many years ago who said if, if God spent six days working on this beautiful, incredible earth. I mean, an earth is beautiful. If it wasn't for us people, this place would be great. I mean, it's gorgeous. Just go into the forests and, and see nature. And the, you know, even that, 
One of the slides today had the sun rising over the ocean. I mean, it's just majestic. And I've gotten to see some incredible places. It took God six days to work on this. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. 2,000 years. If it's taken them 2,000 years to work on heaven and six days to create the earth, Keith Green says, we're living in a garbage can. (laughs) We just got to get a hold of the truth. It's glorious. And we get to go and be with Him. Not because we're so good. Not because I'm so handsome. But because He loves us and He sent His Son that I might believe in Him repent of my sins, fully trust on Him, and then I may get to go to heaven. We have a hope that that's coming. Go with me to Romans 8. Romans 8.24 says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We don't fully see. It's faith. We're trusting. We're, but we're waiting with eager perseverance. In order to see this thing through, we're going to wait with eager Perseverance. Go with me to Titus 1 2. It's, yeah, it's all the T books. It's five of them all together. It's the greeting Paul, a bondservant of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. We have a hope. God promised it. It was confirmed in the prophets. The prophets spoke and Jesus came and fulfilled prophecies. And, and I've heard it said that, that for Jesus to come and fulfill, fulfill just a handful of the prophecies about Him, and I, I, I forget how many, it might have been only 15 of the prophecies that He fulfilled, would be the same odds of taking the entire state of Texas, fill it up with silver dollars, three feet deep, paint one silver dollar red, huck it into the middle of the state, stir it up, and have somebody walk in blindfolded and pick out the red one on their first try. <laughs> Jesus fulfilled things that you cannot accidentally fulfill. You can't purposely fulfill. Jesus fulfilled these proving that He is true. And that gives us hope that heaven is coming. That gives us hope that the Word of God is true and that we can rest solidly on what is spoken in this Word. Here's a commercial interruption. Come next Sunday and bring somebody with you. The case for Christmas. Understanding Jesus. That it's true. That we don't just... It's not a fairy tale. We, and it'll be good for us to learn and understand why we can defend. How we can defend what we believe is not just going, Well, I just believe. 
And I don't want to step on your toes and nobody's ever said this to me in here so, so I'm not speaking to anyone. But it bugs me when I come to a Christian, especially one who's been saved for 10 years or more, or even 5 years and go and, and hear them say, I don't know why Jesus is Jesus, but I just believe in my heart that it's true. There's so much more than just believing the Word of God proves it and we need to understand that we can read it and understand that it's true and give us hope and confidence and that's what He's done. He's given us this. Come next Sunday. Fill out the little thing. Sign up for it. It's free. But make sure you come and bring somebody with you who's questioning God. This is a great time. You're at the store and somebody's going, yeah, this whole Christmas thing. Hey, do you want to know more about Christmas? Come with me next Sunday. Invite somebody. Commercial over. We have hope. We have a hope that this is true. We're not just resting on, on some lottery ticket. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.1 says that Christ Jesus is our hope. He's our hope. We, we saw, we know what He did. We know how He healed. We know how He came into the earth. We know how He was crucified and how He was raised again. And He is our hope. God didn't leave us alone. God didn't leave us alone. He did not leave us to despair and to wonder. Instead, He left us to hope in His wonder. We have hope in His wonder. We don't have to despair and wonder. We have hope in all those wonderful things that He is. We have hope in all that which He spoke to us, all that He fulfilled, all that He continues to speak to us, and all that He does in our personal lives. He's continually there encouraging us, speaking to us. So we have hope that He's coming again. So what? Great, He's coming again. Why? Why do we need to keep this? Why do the writers continually of the New Testament look forward to that day? Saying, He's coming. Wait, He's coming. He's coming. If I go away, I'm going to come back. Why did all of the writers of the New Testament spend so much time? Because we need to keep focused. We need to keep focused. We need to be prepared. We all know that when we lose sight of the goal, that we walk around in circles. We get sidetracked with the things. It's like the horse that puts the blinders on. So they can't see to the left and the right. They want to keep the goal in front of them so that the horse goes straight and goes where the master says and doesn't get sidetracked. But if you put the blinders here and you can only see peripheral, we're going to be going over here and we're going to begin to walk in circles always looking for the thing that's to the side and not to the front. And I believe we do that in the church. We get so focused into the things that we do as the church. As I said earlier, it's sad to see that sometimes Sunday becomes the focal point of Christianity. Gathering together becomes the focal point and the end all of what Christianity is about. We come together, we sing some songs, we hear a message, whether it's good or bad, and we complain about it, and, and we get together, we might have some potluck afterwards, we can go and have some fellowship after Sunday church, and that becomes the all in all of our Christianity because we've lost track of the hope. We've lost track of what Jesus was really saying, I'm coming again. I'm coming again. I'm coming for you and you and you and them. I'm coming. Keep focused, church. 
keep focus. This four weeks, once a year is that time. This is the, the point of this four weeks of Advent. He's coming again. Spend the next four weeks in that hope, in that joy, in that peace, in the expectation that He is coming again. It's like the virgins in Matthew chapter 25. It says the virgins had gone in and some had their, their oil and their wicks trimmed and some in the middle of the night ran out of oil. They, they knew that the, the, the groom was coming, but they ran out of oil. And so they go to those with oil and says, hey, can you give us some more oil? And they said, no, it's too late. We're ready. We've been training for this moment. We're focused and we're ready. We need to be focused and ready so that when Jesus comes, our wicks are trimmed and we have oil. Amen. We need to be burning for Him. Let's go to Matthew 24, just a chapter before that, if you happen to turn to Matthew 25. Starting in in, uh, 37. It says, But as the days of Noah were so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be prepared. We don't know exactly when He's coming, so we have to be on guard. Be focused. and Be prepared. Be looking for His coming. What does that entail? What does that mean? Go with me to Romans. And I've got so many scriptures, I I, I even trimmed some out. But these are important. What does that mean? So we're trying to be prepared. And I believe it's a a, a twofold thing. The first, Romans 13.11. And do this knowing the time. The time is short, church. I, I'm, I'm getting more and more convinced of it. Now, I will reserve a little judgment. They thought the end of time that Jesus was coming back when Nero was Caesar. They really thought that Jesus was going to return and that Nero was the Antichrist. People thought that Hitler was the Antichrist, Stalin, Mussolini. Throughout the church age, they thought they were living on the precipice, that they would see the coming of Christ as I do today. I could be wrong, but boy, things are lining up Pretty biblically, when I do research and compare the Bible to the news, you go, wow. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, and that's true. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. That's one of the reasons we need to keep focused. We're living in the day. The time is soon. Let's not be walking as the world does. Let's understand our citizenship is in heaven and let's put off the things of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk, I love this, properly. Properly. We need to walk properly in Him. And it has to be in Him. We can't do it on our own. It has to be in Christ. But He's calling us to be in Him and walk properly. In Second Peter, which, which is really f- interesting that even then at the writing of Second Peter, the world was already saying, where is the promise of His coming? That's Second Peter 3. Where is the promise of His coming? He goes in and and that's the passage also where it says, for the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. But He's going to come as a thief in the night. And it sums it up by saying, so be found in peace, holy and blameless. Again, tying His coming in with holiness and walking blameless. That's what God is calling us to. And this time of year is a reminder. And now as as I'm drawing the picture, you can begin to say, no wonder they spent the four weeks of Advent in repentance. Reminded that He's coming soon. Let's walk holy. Let's walk blameless. Because He is coming. And we won't get to go there. It's not an option if you're not born again. Heaven does not exist for those outside of Christ. John 3.3 says, Unless a man be born again, he will not enter the kingdom of God. See, this is the second part of being focused. The first part is, is, is for Christians. The first part is for Christians. That we need to walk holy and blameless. We need to walk upright. We need to walk properly, being reminded that He's right at the door. And we, want, we don't want Him to come and find me living in the world. When, when that trumpet blows, I don't want to be watching a movie that He would find distasteful. So what were you doing? Uh, Nothing. I want to be found blameless. I want to be found in Him. But the second part of why do we care? Why do we need to focus that that His coming is soon is for those who don't know Christ. Unless a man is born again, he won't see the kingdom. He won't see the gloriousness of Christ. And it's so important to remember that. I want to go to Romans chapter 10. And I'm going to read it backwards today because I want to make a point. We're going to start in verse 13. So we have to be born again to be saved. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to trust in that. We need to be born again. We need to be changed. And verse 14 says this, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You may be in this room today and you don't know Christ. I don't know you all well enough to know that you've truly trusted in Him and put your faith in Him, repented of your sins, become born again. You might be that person in here today the end of this message is going to be an opportunity to do that. But for the rest of us who've already done that, 
Verse 14 in Romans 10 is speaking to us. See, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We can say, Praise the Lord, I'm saved. I'm heaven bound. I'm good. I've got my ticket. But how can they call on Him whom they've not believed in? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I'm the preacher. You're the preacher. This season reminds us that He's coming again and the world needs a preacher to preach the good news of Christ. And this is a great time of year to do it. Because despite what the media is trying to tell us, 78% of Americans want Christmas at the stores, not holidays. They want it to say, Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. The media, no matter how they spin it, the world still is interested in Christ. They understand that this time of year represents the birth of Christ. They don't know Him fully. They, they're lost and dying, but they're open to it. And this is a great time to help them understand that Christ is the purpose of Christmas. Amen. And that's, the, that's our goal. That's our, our commission. How can they hear without a preacher? And when we back up, we understand this is the message we have to preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. How can they preach unless they're sent? We need to preach that to our friends, to our families. In your cell groups, those that are still meeting over the next few weeks, these are great times to invite somebody. Invite them next Sunday to the case for Christmas. In your Christmas cards, don't worry about what they'll think of you if you write a Christian greeting in there. If this helps, worry more about what they'll say when you're standing side by side at judgment and they get dragged to hell and you get to go into heaven. I think they'll be more upset with you then than if you send a little Christmas greeting with saying, don't forget that Jesus is the reason for this season. And He loves you. Boy, what a great time. So what if they take you off their Christmas greeting card list next year? The time is short. And use it. You know, I'm speaking to myself. Because it's hard to share your faith. It's not always easy. But if we have the focus and the goal, Christ can come back any moment. I don't want them to, to go without knowing Him, or at least without an opportunity to have accepted Him. In Romans 10.15 says, How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, uh, of peace and bring glad tidings of good tidings, of good things. How beautiful are the feet. You know, when you go, I don't care how ugly your feet are. And some of you have ugly feet. When you go, Jesus says, your feet are beautiful. Because you've carried a message that's so important and so needed, and so beautiful. That's where He's calling us today. That's where He's calling us today. 
Let this Advent season bring us continually back to Christ's Advent, His first of 2,000 years ago and His imminent return. Let this Christmas season be continually reminding us that His coming is soon. Let's, let it be a season where we're focusing on giving gifts, but the gift that keeps on giving. Giving the true gift, giving Jesus Christ to those around us. Be the time that we make good decisions. Boy, some of you are going to go to Christmas parties this year. That's a good time to remember where you live. Because the last time I went to a Christmas party, they had some really good eggnog. And it's really easy to drink a little bit too much of the good stuff. You know, it's the season. There's a lot of events. Walk properly. Walk properly. Walk blameless before Him. Help to give the gift of salvation through your walk, through your speech. The, the conclusion of this, and we're going to have a time to just come and, and pray. But John twenty twenty one says, As the Father sent me, so I send you. And Jesus was sent into the world and He came and He fulfilled the prophecies and He's sending us out today to go live for Him, to make disciples. Not just to make converts. He said to make disciples. And this is the reason for the season. This is the reason of the Advent. His coming is soon. Let's pray. Father, only You. God, we can't live this life without You and apart from You. God, we definitely cannot go to heaven without You, apart from You. Unless we are born again, we will not see the kingdom of God. That we need to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. If that's you this morning, it's not a magical prayer, but it is a confession of a mouth and a belief in your heart and trusting and relying on Jesus Christ as your Savior. So the Bible says that we're separated from God because of our sins, but that Jesus paid a price for us. That His sacrifice on the cross paid the price of the punishment that I should have received and opened a way that we could be born again, that we could be born into another kingdom, into another citizenry. And that citizenship is in heaven. And that we need to confess our sins. So if that's you this morning and you want to trust, you want to spend this Christmas as a Christmas, as a Christian, having the Savior in your life, then say a prayer like this, Lord Jesus. I know that I am a sinner. I know I've made mistakes in my life. I know that apart from You, there is no forgiveness for those sins. I recognize that You willingly went to the cross and died and was crucified for my sin. To me, I commit my life to that. I commit my life to following you. 
I turn away from my past and my sins and I cling to you. I believe you are God. Make your residency inside of me. Change my citizenship from this world to heaven. In Jesus' name. And Father, for the rest of us, God, we pray that we'd be aware that our citizenship is of heaven. God, we thank you that we're reminded today that you're coming soon and that it's going to be glorious and that you've asked us to walk. You're calling us to walk circumspectly. You're calling us to walk properly, holy and blameless. Father, we know that the scripture says apart from you, we can do nothing. So, Father, dwell in us, strengthen us, gift us, God, to walk holy and blameless in you. And God, give us courage this season. God, courage to share the gospel with our friends, our neighbors, our family members. God, give us wisdom in how to approach the subject and how to breach the subject, God. How to maybe include notes that would be very clear in our Christmas cards. God, in this season where people are hurting, we pray that you would open our hearts to invite people in to become part of our families, part of our cell group families, part, part of our lives, God. Fathers, we gather in house to house over these next few weeks. We pray that we, we'd be aware of those that we're meeting with and encouraging one another and spurring each other on to good works. God, we thank you that you came and divided time 2,000 years ago and that you're coming again. Father, strengthen us this day. Father, help us to rejoice in You. God, rejoice in all that You're doing. We thank You for the hope that's in You. Father, we cling to that hope. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Get together this week in your cells. Come back Sunday for the case for Christmas. And next Sunday, don't miss, Dave Ogren will be here visiting and preaching to us. He's a great man of God. Hallelujah. Drive safe. I think it stopped snowing.